0: Oh baby, it's that time of year again. Conference tournaments are tipping off, bubble teams are making their final push for a bid while top seeds are preparing for what they hope is a long run. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog, win $256 if they win. It's that simple. Pick one of the select college basketball underdogs for your shot at winning $256 and all it takes is a $4 bet. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf, hockey, and so much more. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $4 into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset. That's code THPN to turn $4 into $256 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or PA only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER, or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Presented by the Hockey Podcast Network, this is Getting Bullied. I'm your host, Mark Giannone. You can catch us on Twitter, at underscore getting bullied. Follow me on Twitter, at Mark Flagman. Two ends get this in every episode of Getting Bullied through the Hockey Podcast Network, anywhere you get your podcast. They're on Twitter, at HockeyPodNet.com. And I'm happy to announce that next week I'll be doing episode two of Getting Bullied Remembers the Spectrum with uh, former Flyers defenseman Joe Watson. And we're going to be talking about January 11th, 1976. That is the day that the Flyers took on the Red Army team from the Soviet Union and beat them in the spectrum in Philadelphia. And if you've never seen the game I don't know if you could catch it online. I have uh the 10 greatest Philadelphia Flyers games that they released. I think right around their 50th anniversary. Maybe it was even their 40th. Um I've had it for a while, but that's that's how I'm, you know, was able to go back and watch it. I'm sure you could probably find it online. Or if you want to find that box set, it's a great set. There's, you know, 10 really good games from spanning all eras, so you'll be able to see, you know, the 70s, the 80s. I don't think there was a 90s game in there, but there's some early 2000s, some 2010s stuff. Uh, so it was a really good, really good box set if you're a Flyers fan and don't have it and want it. If you want to teach your, your children about it or, you know, your significant other, whoever, it's a great great uh, tool to do that. So Joe Watson will be with me next week talking about the uh, the the Flyers beating the Russians in 1976. Flyers obviously coming off two back-to-back Stanley Cups and were the hottest thing going in hockey really in the NHL anyway and then of course there was that Russian team that was just beating everybody except the Flyers. Um, I wish we had that 76 team c- present day because this Flyers team that we're seeing right now, it almost feels like the the wheels are kind of falling off this thing kind of quickly. They they were able to beat Buffalo in a shootout Tuesday night, and you know by all accounts, really, it was just a lackluster game that the Flyers really, if the if they were playing a good team, had no business of winning. I mean they played Buffalo. This is a team, they're a young team, they're not a good team that, you know, they they haven't really figured out how to win games like that. They jumped out early on the Flyers in the first. They put up 3 and the Flyers really just kept battling back the whole game and never, you know, they, they never let up, which is good to see, but at the same time you got to think that if they're playing a team like the Capitals, which they played tonight, if they're playing Pittsburgh, if they're playing Boston or the Islanders, you you probably don't see that comeback happen. They it never gets to overtime let alone a shootout. So it was a win. I'm not going to say it was a good win. You could maybe say I don't I'm not you know what? I'm not even going to say it was a character win because it wasn't. Because if you saw some of the bullshit that I'm going to get into in a little bit that happened in that game, you'll see just another glaring example of the Flyers just a heartless, gutless team that To the outsider would say they don't give a shit about their teammates, one another. They just don't care. And it was ever-present once again in the game against Buffalo. I just classify it as a win and nothing else. No other adjective needs to be put onto that because it was just a win. It was a game the Flyers probably should have lost. And it's just the fact that Buffalo is worse than the Flyers are better, if that makes any sense. Buffalo just didn't know how to stop the onslaught. They just, you know, they jumped out to a three-goal lead, or they jumped, they put three up in the first, and they just kind of were like, ah, oh, that's probably good enough. It's a young team that hasn't figured out how to win games like that yet when, you, you know, you jump out big early, and the team you're playing keeps coming back. They didn't know how to deal with that wave from the Flyers. And I'm just... You know, honestly, I'm even fucking surprised that there was a way from the Flyers, even though it was Buffalo. That seemed like a game that the Flyers would have just packed it in after the first and just fucking coasted and, you know, tried to play for Washington. So a win is a win, I guess, but I'm not really impressed with the fashion in which the Flyers won that game. And the big issue that, you know, everyone was talking about coming out of that game was the... I don't even know if you could call it a hit. It was more like a mugging. It was an assault. It was an attack that was laid on Scott Lawton by Curtis Lazar of the Buffalo Sabres. And basically how it goes is there was a faceoff at center ice. And the next thing you know, Lazar is flipping Scott Lawton off his feet and dropping him on his fucking head. And there was not a single Philadelphia Flyer on the ice that did a goddamn thing about it. They just kind of watched it happen and then followed the puck down the ice. Not a fucking thing was done for this guy that just basically picked up your teammate. And you could call it any wrestling move you want. He suplexed him. He pile-drived him. He fucking scoop-slammed him. Whatever you want to say. He assaulted Scott Lawton right on the ice. Right in center ice where everybody's looking. It's not like it was mid play where you know my back was turned. I was following the puck I didn't I wasn't sure what was going on behind me. It was right off the face off it was right in front of you. It happened as soon as the puck was dropped. Everybody was looking at it, and no one did anything about it there's not a there's not a fucking set of balls on this team to go between any of them. There's not two balls on the entire Philadelphia Flyers team to allow that to happen. To such an important player, a guy that a guy that brings it really game in and game out. He contributes offensively. He contributes defensively. He bring you know he can, he brings the hits when he needs to. Scott Lawton is a really good player for the Flyers. He's an important player for the Flyers, and he was mugged on the ice, on TV, in public, and nobody did a fucking thing about it. The Flyers should be embarrassed, really. And after the game. You know, Lawton's calling it a dirty play, and it absolutely was a dirty play, and there was no call. So even the referees didn't come to Lawton's defense. It was a dirty play, which makes it even more, if the refs aren't going to do anything about it, then the po- the players have to police themselves, and they didn't. They just let it go for the rest of the game. And you know why? You know why that happens? That play happens against a team that the other team isn't afraid of. When your opponent doesn't fear any person on your team, when an opponent knows that we could go out and we could fucking level any person on the Flyers because nobody's going to step up and get in my face. Nobody's going to put me in my place. No one's going to punch me in my face, knock me on my ass, then they're just going to do it. They're going to take those liberties. And this is just still the regular season. And that's Buffalo. What the hell do you think is going to happen in the playoffs when you're playing Boston, when you're playing Washington, when you're playing Pittsburgh, whoever it may be? What do you think these teams are going to do? The good teams are going to pick you apart with shit like that. All that did by Lazar, all Curtis Lazar did was put a message out to the league that you could do whatever you want to the Flyers because nobody on this team has the balls to do anything back to you. There, was a, there wasn't even a retaliation of a teammate in that game. The Flyers did nothing. They should be embarrassed. We, as fans, should be embarrassed. And the Flyers, if they continue this route, if they continue going down this route, route or route, I don't know really what it is. What do you say? Uh, but if they keep going down this route or route where they're just going to let this happen to important players on their team, then they're not going to go far at all. And I already don't have the best confidence in this team to go far in the playoffs. I think they're a second-round team, maybe, if they make the playoffs. Because they still have to play Washington tonight, who you saw what they did to them on Sunday. It was not good. Sam Sonoff, for Washington on Sunday, picked the Flyers apart, and I mean, to the Flyers' credit, they kept coming in that game too, but Sam Sonoff just was that much better. So, hopefully, tonight, Brian Elliott starts again tonight for the Flyers again in the third or in the I think it was after the first Carter Hart got pulled against Buffalo. I don't know what's going on with Carter Hart. If you if you watched the postgame press conference talking to Carter Hart, it's not there's something not right mentally with Carter Hart. If you just heard the way he talked and how kind of negative and down on himself he sounded, it was not good. It's it wasn't encouraging to hear in the short term. Long term over the next 10 years, I have full confidence in Carter Hart. Cuz I think he has a ton of skill, ton of talent. He's got all the right intangibles, but right now this season whatever's going on with him is not good. And he's got to get out of his he's got to get out of his head, he's got to get out of his own way. I don't know, you know, if maybe, and hey, I'm victim of this too, I know a lot of people out there are victims of this, this pandemic, I never thought I'd be the type of guy, or the type of person that this would weigh on, because, like, you know, shit like this in the, you know, in the real world, you know, pandemics and stuff like that, like, I'm just like, alright, whatever, it is what it is, I'll deal with it, but really, you know, here we are a year into this thing, it's March 11th, and March 11th last year is when all By the way, happy birthday, happy birthday to my brother, Nick, who turns 25 today. God, I'm old as shit. Um, But yeah, I mean, a year ago today, we're shutting down sports. And now, you know, we're coming out of this thing a little bit here. A year later, we're getting fans back slowly, but surely we're getting vaccinated. But, you know, it's been a it's been a rough year, not even from a sports perspective, just from a world perspective, and it's starting to weigh on people, so maybe that, who knows, I, I could just be making excuses, I could just be throwing bullshit out into the universe, but, you know, maybe that has something to do with kind of the uh, somewhat negative demeanor of Carter Hart, you know, this thing could be weighing on people in ways that you don't really understand, you don't know also what's going on in his personal life that could be weighing on him, maybe he's having girl troubles. It could happen. It's possible. Maybe he doesn't have girl troubles, which could be even worse. I remember back to an episode of Cheers. I'm not this old. I'm only 28. I wasn't alive when Cheers was on the air, but, you know, TV land and shit growing up. I love Cheers. Great show. I think it's on Netflix still if you want to watch it. But there was one episode of Cheers where Carla, the bartender, was dating the uh, star goaltender of the Boston Bruins. And I mean, this dude was an legit stud. Everybody in Boston loved him. He was great for the Bruins. And then once he started dating Carla, everything fucking started going downhill to the point where he eventually broke up with her because it was affecting his game. So my point is, sometimes relationships, whether good or bad, could have a negative effect on a on a player's. Uh, Play on the ice or on the field or on the court. Not saying that if he's having a successful relationship, he should break up with this girl, but whatever. I don't know what the fuck the problem is with Carter Hart, but he's in his own head right now. Everybody sees it. If you watch that press conference, you hear it. You see it on his face. Something's not right. And for such a cerebral player, for a guy that is known for being so mentally strong and, you know, he meditates and all that good, you know, mental, you know, health stuff. He does it all. It's weird and it's discouraging right now in the short term this season for the Flyers to see him talk like that, to, to, you know, to hear him talk like that, rather to see his face as he's giving these answers to these questions, you know, he is, you know, he's just not good. He's just not good right now. And the Flyers have not been good in front of him defensively, but still there have been plays that he's need to make that he hasn't and where last year and the year before he would have made them. So I don't know right now the Flyers have a ton of issues as far as stopping the other team from scoring and their best medicine for it is is uh is Brian Elliott. Brian Elliott has played very well. In the times that he's been thrown in there, so you know he kind of he stopped the bleeding against Buffalo. I mean, I I would have started him against Buffalo anyway, just because of the success he has he's had had against the Sabers in his career and this year. I would have started him then. I understand you have to let players you know kind of play through it, and I think to an extent that Elaine Vino and the Flyers coaching staff has you know there's only two goalies, so they're going to have to let Carter Hart play through this thing. It's not like they can just bench him long-term, you know, sit him for a week or two. That's not going to happen. So you're going to have to kind of deal with this thing on the fly. And it's not really, you know, it's not the greatest situation, but it's a situation they find themselves in. And Elaine Vigneault, as we find out today, going into the Washington game has no problems benching players because Phil Myers is once again, once again, riding the bench. He's going to be a healthy scratch tonight. And, you know, really, I'm 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 kind of just tired of the bullshit. I'm tired of these, you know, these fucking reindeer games that Vigneault likes to play with, scratching, you know, the some of the more prominent players on the team. Last year, when he really st- when he started doing it, you know, it, it was a change up from Dave Hackstall, who just kind of, you know, he would bench guys, but he would bury them, and. That doesn't work, and really what Vino is doing isn't really working either. And I get Phil Myers, when you listen to his comment, when you listen to Elaine Vino's comments today about Phil Myers and the reason for the benching, it's because, you know, really he's just not doing the little things. He says he needs to be stronger on the puck, not get knocked off the puck when, you know, those collisions on the boards and, you know, and keeping the pucks in and stuff like that. He just needs to be... He, I guess Vigno feels he needs to be stronger on the puck and just do the little things better. But my my point is here, I can't really fathom a world where the Flyers it's not like they have depth at defense. So, I I I will take you know, I'll take Phil Myers going through struggles over, you know, Nate Prosser or Gustafson or Haig, you know, these guys are going to get slotted in there and really they don't give you much of anything either. And this isn't the first time he's benched Phil Myers this year and the benching, obviously the first time didn't fucking work because you're doing it again like a week or two later. And I went back and I looked at some of the other notable guys that he's benched Travis connecting this year. January thirtieth, he was benched. He was scratched. I, I keep saying benched. It was the word is scratched, I guess, in hockey. Uh, so he scratched him January thirtieth. In the next four games that he played, he only recorded three shots. Then he missed a bunch of time there from you know because of COVID, from the eighth of February to the third of this month. Uh, that Pittsburgh game is when he finally came back, and he's just now starting to pick it up. He scored the goal Sunday or Saturday against Pittsburgh. He played well Sunday. He played well in the uh, in the first game or in the second game against Pittsburgh last week. So he started to come onto his own. But then you saw this goal against Buffalo, where he had to wrap the guy up and he just fucking let a free shot go and it led to a goal. So who's to say really that the benching worked for Travis Konechny? I can't say that it has. In the four games he played immediately after the benching, he didn't put up a point. He only he only had three shots in four games. So did the benching work there? Probably not. JVR got benched in the playoffs last year. He had a down year all year last year. He was in and out of the lineup. The benching didn't really work there. Jake Boricek got scratched going into the final game of the round robin where the Flyers were playing for the number one seed in the conference. And... You know, he had an all right playoffs down the, sh- you know, down the stretch. He played well. I don't know if that was so much the benching or if- and it might have been. It absolutely might have been because Voracek, as we've seen with his response earlier this season to Mike sealski in the press conference, he can kind of be he can be kind of a defiant motherfucker. And when you piss him off, you know, he kind of lashes out. So maybe his increase in play, maybe that worked for Jake Voracek. Benching doesn't really work for everybody. What works for one guy might not work for another. Voracek seems like the guy where he could get scratched and come back and be like, "Oh, oh, you're going to scratch me? Well, watch this," and use that as motivation. And I'm not seeing it a ton from other guys on the team that have been scratched. That are, you know, it, it may hurt their confidence even more. A young player like Phil Myers, you know, uh, Vino said in the comments today that the problems that. He's getting scratched for. They've kept working at him at. They kept bringing it up, so he could be. And I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know his mental makeup. and he could be in a situation right now mentally where he's like, "What the fuck? Nothing I do is right. I'm trying to adjust it on the ice. They're still ra- They're still riding me for it. And now I'm not even in the lineup for it. So this could be counterproductive for a guy like Phil Myers because he was just bent. He was just scratched a couple weeks ago, presumably for the same types of issues. And it didn't work then because you're doing it again here, you know, a week or two later. I like Phil Myers a lot. I think he's got a lot of talent. Vino said as much as well this afternoon. I just think that Phil Myers is much better of an option for the Flyers defensively than the alternatives. Because we saw what the alternatives can be, and they're not very good. The whole Flyers defense, of course, not very good. And that brings me full circle here to Chuck Fletcher because there's a lot there's a lot you'll see on Twitter Twitter's Twitter's a good place I like Twitter it's entertaining it's good for interacting it's good for connecting with people that you probably never would have if it didn't exist but it also could be just a cesspool of bullshit and negativity I've contributed to said bullshit and negativity more than negativity I don't report bullshit because a it doesn't benefit me to make shit up and tweet it. No one's going to fucking believe it anyway coming from me. But you see these guys out here that are quote-unquote insiders and they have these quote-unquote sources that are scouts or fucking, you know, the guy that cleans the jock straps or, you know, the lady that, you know, the, the seamstress, whoever. Whoever the fuck they claim they know that know, that has quote-unquote inside shit. Uh, the, You know, you see there's reports that... Chuck Fletcher is working on shit, but he's not too keen on pulling the trigger on a move because he until he sees the team improve. Until he thinks this team can go somewhere to make pull to pull the trigger on a move, he's not gonna do it. Which is like the biggest load of bullshit ever. It's the dumbest thing you've ever heard. Well, this team's not good enough, so until I think they're good enough, I'm not gonna make a trade. Like, what? Do you hear how stupid that sounds that a general manager of a team is going to say, like, I, just, I don't think this team's very good. And until they prove they're very good, uh, I'm not going to make a trade. So then I guess you're never going to make a trade because this team is what they are. They're not going to get better without a trade. So that report is stupid. The thought of of somebody thinking that is stupid. Chuck Fletcher needs to make a deal. Everybody knows it. Elaine Vino. Pretty much said it yesterday in his press conference after Flyers practice. He said more or less the Flyers have yet to find a replacement for Matt Niskanen on the on the top line with Ivan Provorov. A, I think that's kind of an indictment on Provorov, low key saying that Provorov probably hasn't done enough to uplift the players that we've put him with. Because, I mean, really, if he's the best defenseman on your team, if he's your if he's your bonafide, locked in, written in pen, permanent marker, whatever, etched in stone, number one paired defenseman, then you shouldn't have to go scour the universe for another bonafide number one. He should be able to uplift a guy with skill and with talent. And they've put guys there, Gossespersman in that spot. They've had Myers in that spot. They've put guys there. I think Gossipsen was there at one point. They've put guys there that, you know, and maybe those, t- you know, it's it's not all about Provorov. It's also about the guys. You know, they're probably just not fit for that role to be a number one guy. So those comments by Vino, I think, are somewhat an indictment on Provorov, but they're more an indictment on Chuck Fletcher saying that look, the people and really the person, because they brought in just one defenseman, and that being. Eric Gustafson the guy we brought in thinking that the guys we had in house could step up to that role hasn't been enough and really Chuck Fletcher it's not like Matt Niskanen dropped this thing on the flyers like a week before training camp and they had to scramble to get a guy there was enough time between Niskanen's retirement announcement and the season starting that something better could have been done and Chuck Fletcher just went with, you know, I guess something that he saw as a cheap depth move. I guess the thought process was just get in another guy and we'll just have a pool of defensemen and we'll figure it out as we go. And that's what they've had to do, and it's not working. It hasn't worked from the beginning of the season to this point. Everybody sees it. I'm sure Chuck Fletcher sees it. That's why to to think that there's a report saying that he's not going to make a move because he doesn't think the team is good enough is it. Uh, Ooh, don't want to say that. It's, it's ridiculous. That's what I was going to say. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's a stupid report, and it's a stupid idea. It's dumb. And really, I kind of went back and... Because it got me thinking. You know, we're we're looking for Chuck Fletcher to make this big move. This big, game-changing move to save the Flyers and to save the season. And really, I don't know... If he's, you know, I don't know if he's a guy I can trust to do that. And he's never really, with the Flyers, he's never really been in this situation where he had to improve the team in this way. I think prior to this, he was just feeling out what he had and trying to, you know, add pieces here and there. But the problem that I've seen is the pieces that he's added, the, you know, the little pieces that he's added, the little moves that he's made since he's been with the Flyers haven't really amounted to much. CapFriendly.com is a great website This isn't an ad This is just me, you know, singing their praises I I wanted the, All I typed in in Google was Chuck Fletcher Flyers trades And lo and behold, CapFriendly has Chuck Fletcher trade history And I'm sure this is, you know, they do this for everybody And it goes back to even his time with Minnesota no so good you have every trade i would pursue i would yeah you have every trade that chuck fletcher has ever made uh in his career dating all the way back to 2009 when he acquired a, tw- a 2009 first round pick a 2009 third round pick and a 2009 seventh round pick uh in exchange for the number 12 overall pick that year which was calvin Dehan to the New York Islanders. So, cat friendly is great if you want any information on trades, on uh, contracts, whatever. So I'm just like i just perusing the the moves he's made, and if you look at the moves he's made on draft day, they're great. You know, the trade up, the trade down. Um, you know, it's got us guys like Zade Wisdom, it's got us guys like Bobby Brink, good prospects with a lot of promise. Goal scoring, Ackerman and Bobby Brink, toughness, Ackerman and Zade Wisdom. Zade Wisdom is a guy that I wouldn't mind bringing up to the Flyers right now because he's playing well and a guy like Nolan Patrick is not. Again, real quick, I got to digress back to what I was saying about the benching. Nolan Patrick has gone 16 games without a point, 16 in fifty six in a 56-game season, he has so far gone 16 games without a point, and he's still in the lineup. But Phil Myers making, you know, and Phil Myers hasn't been lighting up the score sheet either. But I feel like Nolan Patrick has been worse longer than Phil Myers, and all Nolan Patrick does is get thrown, and, you know, he scored. So to his credit, he scored in the shootout, but he got put into a high-leverage situation in the shootout that he, thank God, came through on. And maybe he could use that as some confidence. I don't know. Because they've moved him in the lineup. they moved him to the right wing. they moved them up and down the lineup. And nothing works in-game. So they throw him in a shootout. They're showing him at every level, at every step of the way that they have confidence in him and in his abilities. But other players on the team, guys that have proven it, like Travis Konechny, guys that have done it over a long career like JVR last year, Jake Voracek, you know, now. Nah. Bench you, second overall pick who hasn't lived up to the hype. We're gonna, we're just gonna keep, we're gonna keep going to you, kid. I don't get it. And I guess, you know, I guess he's been okay off the puck, Nolan Patrick. But he's the name of the game here. When you draft the guy second overall, you're not drafting him because he does good off the puck. You're drafting him to contribute to goals one way or another, whether it be scoring them himself or setting up other players to do it. And he hasn't done it. And they're putting him in every position they can to, su- they can for him to succeed, and he's not doing it. But these other guys, there's just I feel like there's heavy favoritism with Elaine Vino, and he's not shy about it. And I think in this in this instance with Nolan Patrick, he's kind of he's beating a dead horse, and he he's hitched his wagon to the wrong horse. Yeah, that's that that would be it. But back to Chuck Fletcher, I'm looking at the moves that he's made to try to add, I guess, the depth moves, the finishing touches, if you will, to to the Flyers since he's been here. And really, the only impactful moves that he made were last offseason when he got Justin Braun and Matt Niskanen. And I criticized the Niskanen trade because they traded Radko Gudis and they ate so much of his contract. And that, you know, for a team that was capped, strapped to begin with, I wasn't thrilled with it. But obviously Niskanen paid great dividends for the Flyers last year. He was one of their best defensemen. He was a good veteran leader in the playoffs. Excuse me, through the whole season. It was a good acquisition. Justin Braun, I don't think Justin Braun's just been an okay pickup. He hasn't lit the world on fire. They didn't expect that. Again, I think when they brought him in, that was, hey, this is another veteran guy to put with this group of young guys that's made deep runs in the playoffs. And can help in that way. They didn't bring in Justin Braun to be a top four defenseman and score a bunch of goals. They brought him in to be a steady presence in the locker room and on the ice, and I think he's done that. I think he's looked good uh, in spurts this year, especially coming back here from COVID. I think he's looked better. His overall play has looked better. He's not the goal scorer. He's just the stay-at-home defenseman, make the blocks, make the hits, be that guy, and I I think he plays his role well. So I think those two the those two moves by Fletcher were good. Uh I go back to the 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 Nashville trade. I think that was the first trade that he made with the Flyers um getting or one of the first when he traded it well, no, it doesn't matter. When when he traded Wayne Simmons to Nashville and got Ryan Grant. And I believe there was a fourth round pick in there. Um, I'm just going over it right now. I'm trying to find it. But yeah, so they got Ryan Hartman uh, and a conditional fourth round pick from Nashville for Wayne Simmons. And again, you know, it was kind of a move. I get it. You get the draft pick, and that that was really the get in the exchange for Wayne Simmons, whose contract was expiring. They knew they weren't going to re-sign him, so you get what you can get, and the Flyers were kind of on the outside looking in that season as far as the playoffs were concerned. So, and Ryan Grant was really... Ryan Grant? I keep saying Ryan Grant. That's not who it was. Ryan Hartman. Ryan Grant did come here. I will get to that, but Ryan Hartman... Was the acquisition made and you know, it was just kind of a guy that was a former you know, high draft pick that it was just kind of like, hey, we'll see what we can get out of this guy who once showed a ton of promise. We'll see if we can, you know, kind of kind of like what I've been saying with Nolan Patrick, you know, new scenery, you know, new city, maybe that changes things and it didn't. And that offseason, and I got a good, this was a good depth move by Fletcher. I'll give it to him. He traded Hartman to Dallas for Tyler Pitlick, who was a good, you know, good fourth line guy for the Flyers, contributed, you know, a few times, had some big goals, played well in the playoffs, I thought, and then they didn't re-sign him. So that was really all for nothing. And then last year, you trade a 2021 fifth round pick to Montreal for Nate Thompson and this was like this was the move that was supposed to bring some grit, some sandpaper, whatever the hell you want to say. It was, you know, kind of another depth move, bringing in Nate Thompson. Uh, then they traded. They acquired Derek Grant. I said Ryan Grant earlier. I don't know where the fuck I got Ryan Grant. That's probably a guy somewhere. But they got Derek Grant from uh, Anaheim for a conditional fourth round pick. That was the pick they got from Nashville. And you know these—they they were just kind of like lackluster moves, lackluster deadline moves. And at the time, the Flyers were playing good. They were playing—they were playing some of their best hockey at the time. So, really, I—you know—I understand it in a vacuum. It was just kind of like, hey, um, this team's really good right now. So we don't really need to go shaking things up too much. We need to add a piece or a piece or two to kind of fortify the depth and bring a different aspect to the team. But even those guys, I mean, again, when the playoffs were going on and after the round Robin, when the Flyers lit the world on fire, those guys really didn't do much to better the team when the team needed them. And now here we are, I guess, just about a year later from from those moves happening. I don't know if there's a date on these trades. February 24th is when those moves were made. So. that was a deadline last year that was deadline day if I remember correctly so here we are a little more than a month a little more than a year later and he's he's about to be in the same position and the team is in a different spot the team is not what they were a year ago standings wise or play on the ice wise where last year it was looking like you know this team could could do something in the playoffs with the right moves and those right moves weren't made and now it's the right moves need to be made A to get the Flyer to solidify the Flyers as a playoff team in the Eastern Conference, but also to solidify this team to make a deep run in the playoffs. And the names are out there. And I you know, I I could go on, I've said it for the last probably two weeks on this show. You know, Matthias Eckholm, Peter or Peter Forsberg, that'd be great if we can get him back in his prime. Philip Forsberg, David Savar, there's a bunch of other names out there. That you know, there's teams that are gonna be looking to sell soon. And I just hope that Chuck Fletcher is the buyer. Because when I look at his trade history with the Flyers, it's not that great. It doesn't really impress me. Not one not really one of the moves that he made for NHL players are making a difference on this team right now. Justin Braun is still here. I wouldn't necessarily say he's making a difference. He's not, I don't believe he's hurting them. That was just a good, solid move. I can't hate on it or love it. You know, it's just, it was, it's just a move. It was a good move. It's not, it's not going to make or break the Flyers, obviously, and it hasn't. The Niskanen trade was really good. He was a difference maker last year. But now he's gone, and Chuck Fletcher hasn't done a damn thing to fix that. To fill that, to fill that role, fill that spot. You know, to th- to really think about like the the psychology behind losing a player like Niskanen, who's been there, done that, won a Stanley Cup, has you know has success. He had success with Pittsburgh, had deep runs in the playoffs with Pittsburgh. Obviously, did so with Washington as well. to To think philosophically that you could lose a guy like that and just replace him with three fringe players like Robert Haig, Eric Gustafson, and Nate Prosser, is it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous philosophy to think, to, to, to have. And it's not like the Fly. again, I say the it's not like the Flyers didn't have time to make a move. And they've had all season to see that the defense isn't working out. And this blue line by committee to replace Matt Niskanen hasn't worked out. It's not enough. And Chuck Fletcher, if, 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 and I don't think this idiotic report that's floating out there, with him saying he's not going to make a move until he sees the team get better. But if that is true, that is organizational malpractice to just accept that this team has currently constructed isn't good enough, and you're not going to do a damn thing about it to make it better. You're just going to ride out this season when you're in the prime of the careers of guys like, or or entering the prime of the career of guys like Konechny, Lindblom, Hart, Provorov, Sanheim, Myers, you name it, and you have guys in the twilight of their career like Giroux and uh, Couturier also in his prime, JVR in his prime, maybe on the tail end but he's still there and you have guys at the twilight of their career like uh, Brian Elliott like Kuala Giroux like Jake Borachek, like Justin Braun who has made deep runs in the playoffs but hasn't been able to get over the hump you are just doing your team, your fans, your city a disservice if you see this team and think and know it's not good enough and say because it's not good enough it doesn't make sense to make a move this year and well, I guess we'll just kick the can down the road and wait for the offseason and try again next year. You're not in a position right now with this team. This team has a window to win a Stanley Cup. And they have a good future. But I think this team is currently constructed with the older players you have. You're doing them a disservice, and you're really just, really just being an idiot. And you're not doing your job to say, like, yeah, we'll try again next year. I don't think this team's good enough, and I don't really... You know, I I don't I don't see the need to make a move. So really, that tells me that he, if that's true, and I don't think it is, but if it is, and really, he hasn't made the move yet. It's not like, it's not like this is news. It's not like the Flyers playing like this is news. It's not like they haven't been having issues on the blue line all year, and he's yet to make a move. So maybe it is true. But the point the point I'm trying to make is, if he if that's his thought process. If it, process if that's his philosophy looking at this team then he's not the guy to get this team over the hump he's not the guy that's going to do it because and I've given him credit in the past when last year when they you know they didn't start the season with guys like Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee in the lineup and stuff like that and they just made questionable decisions with that opening night roster and like in the first two weeks they made the changes necessary to make that team better and over the course of last season it worked. I've always seen Chuck Fletcher at his time here in Philadelphia to be the guy that if he sees an issue, if he sees uh, something that needs to be rectified, he'll do it. And I don't, I'm not sensing the urgency from him right now to do that. And I think that's a huge problem. And I think and I hope that he's on the phone making calls but just making calls without the intent of making a move isn't really going to do you any good so the heat really 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 needs to be turned up on chuck fletcher because right now this team isn't going to go anywhere right now this team is just spinning its tires and hoping for the best really and the heat needs to be turned up on him the heat needs to be turned up on the coaching staff because the power, the special teams are garbage. You have two former head coaches in Mike Yo and Michelle Tarian that are running those units, and neither one are playing well. But no, let's just keep benching the players. It's all the players. Our system is fine. Let's just keep benching the players because they're not executing our bullshit system. Rather than bench, fuck. Let's just bench the coaches. I would love to see if Lee just go out there by himself, one of these games, just just run everything, send a message that way, like what message is being sent to the coaching staff saying that hey, it's not all it's not all on the players. We're not doing our job, and of course, shit like that is behind the scenes, and it's probably just a stern talking to from Bino, but no real consequences, and probably not in season anyway. I would imagine at the end of the at the end of the season and the offseason, there's probably going to be changes to the coaching staff with that, if not one, both. Because really, the special teams haven't been good enough. So if yo and Tarion were both out at the end of the season, it would not surprise me at all, because as much as it's on the players, it's that much on the coaches as well, because it's their system. And, yeah, the players have to go out and execute. And I understand that. And maybe the players aren't good enough to execute this system. But you have to attach, uh, approach this thing from all angles, and and attach blame all around because it's not just the players, it's not just the coaches, it's really everything right now. Nothing is working. All of it needs to be adjusted and looked at and fixed. You're not going to make coaching staff changes midseason like that, but the trades could be made. And I've said it the last couple of weeks. I'll say it again. A forward needs to be moved out, and obviously a defenseman needs to be moved out. The defenseman is obvious. The, um, the forward is what's really going to send the message. If you move a forward out of this lineup, send him to another city, bring in another guy, now you're showing everybody that, look, you're not good enough. This guy is who we think. We think this guy is better than the guy that was just here. We think this guy is, go- is what's going to make you better. So then maybe everybody elevates their play and says, well, fuck that guy. We're all, we're all, we are a good team. And we are going to start to play better. But it starts with Chuck Fletcher right now. The heat needs to be on him. Fans need to be calling for it. I hope the fans at home, they have been, hope they continue to be loud and vocal in their displeasure for the way this team plays on the ice. I hope that. You know, anytime you get a win, you're going to get a, you're going to get excited. But I hope nobody really buys too much into the win, the bullshit win over Buffalo. And tonight you really we will see what this benching of Phil Myers, what it does. Hopefully when he comes back in the lineup, he, you know, maybe this time the benching works, maybe this time the benching sends a message, but I, it doesn't have a great track record. It may not this time, but again, every player is different. And so hopefully you know, hopefully, this is the move the fly, or at least Phil Myers needs to kind of elevate his play. And we'll see tonight how they go. I don't have a ton of confidence coming into this game. If Sam Sonoff is tonight what he was the other night, um, I don't really see the, fl- the things going the Flyers' way. But, you know, coming off of a win like that in Buffalo, sometimes that does weird things to you. The way you have to battle back and. Build a little confidence. Washington's a good team. These are the teams you're going to have to beat. You could beat Buffalo, New York, and Jersey all you fucking want, but you're not going to see them in the playoffs. You'll see a team like Washington. So they have to figure out a way to beat this team. And I don't have a ton of confidence. I don't think the Flyers are going to win this game. I don't think it's going to be an ugly loss. I just think it's going to be you know, another predictable loss. The Flyers are going to play the way that we've kind of known them to play. Just lackluster defensively, there's gonna be a lot of breakdowns, and they're you know, more often than not, on more than one occasion, they're gonna leave Elliot out to dry, and hopefully he's up to the task to make the big saves and the big moments when he needs to. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at MarkFlagman2Ns. You can follow the show at underscore getting bullied. You can get this and every episode of Getting Bullied to the hockey podcast network. They're at Hockey on Twitter and once again I would like to remind everybody that next week on getting bullied one of the episodes either the Monday episode or the Thursday episode haven't really decided which one yet I will be talking to former Flyers defenseman a lifelong flyer played here worked here after in the uh you know with the team uh recently retired I guess just from work from the workforce and that'll be Joe Watson And really excited about that guy. I've always seen interviews with him in the past. He seems like a really entertaining guy. So I'm excited to talk to him. And we are going to be talking about uh, January 11th, 1976. And that is the day the Flyers beat the Red Army team from the Soviet Union after sort of a a tour. I don't know if it was a tournament. They called it. I I don't even remember what what series it was called, but basically the Soviet Union sent over two teams from Russia and played a bunch of teams in the NHL. And the Flyers were—it's—it was great too. <laughs> the Flyers were the NHL's last hope of beating the Russians, and goddamn it, they did it. So we'll be talking to Joe Watson next week about that. Really excited for that. Uh, again, Flyers tonight. Capitals. Not a ton of confidence. I'm expecting a loss. Hopefully, I am wrong. But we'll see how things play out. So um, until next week, until Monday, everybody enjoy your life and let's go Flyers.